0: all honor and glory, all praise and power, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, we gather on this Christ the King Sunday as the people of God to bow down and to give praise. We welcome each one of you here, whether you are here to celebrate new life and baptism, whether you are here resting on a long journey yet ahead, or even if you're still trying to come out of a pie coma, we are glad that you are here together this morning. While this is Christ the King Sunday, we remember this is the end of the liturgical year and just a step away from the beginning of the next one as we begin in the season of Advent, the season of hope. As you look through your bulletin, you'll see a number of announcements about what is going on this season, but let me draw your attention to a few. Next Sunday on the 3rd, our uh, Advent flower donations need to be turned in. More information is in your bulletin. Those flowers help to beautify our space and remind us of the joy of the season. Next Sunday is also the Sunday to drop off your angel tree donations. This special opportunity to give gifts to children in need is a long-standing tradition of our congregation, and you can be a part of it. On the third, at 4 o'clock, is our live nativity on the front lawn, followed by our 5 o'clock evening worship. In case you're not sure about the difference, one involves goats, the other involves a choir. Both equally amazing, and I hope you will join us for both. On the fifth, we begin our harpsichord concerts at noon on Tuesdays here in the sanctuary. And then we are blessed by the great gift of music on the 10th, two Sundays from now at 4 p.m. with our Advent lessons and carol service. Friends, that's a long list. Thankfully, it's all in your bulletin, so you can go back and check and remind me of the mistakes that I probably made. But friends, today our job is simple. That's that we rise together so that we might call one another to the work of worship you please join me in today's call to worship? O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is a great God, a great ruler over heaven and earth. be seated. The law is simple. Love God and love your neighbor. It's all that is asked of us. It's all that is asked of our lives. And yet, how often do we fall short, failing to show love to God, to neighbor, and even to ourselves? And yet, God, who is love, calls us back to faithfulness again and again. In our prayer of confession, we turn to God and ask for God's help and for God's guidance as we seek to follow in the way of love first shown by his son, Jesus. So it is in our hope of Jesus' love and Jesus' saving grace that we turn to God in prayer with one another. Will you please join me? Lord Jesus, Judge of the nations. We confess that we have not seen your face among our neighbors in need. We have not shared our food with the hungry. We have not offered clothes to the destitute or shelter to the homeless. We have not welcomed the stranger, nor have we visited prisoners. We have not paid attention to these, your sisters and brothers, and in our neglect we have failed to serve you. Lord, forgive us. Open our eyes to recognize your beloved family and give us the blessing of sincere repentance that we may know the joy of eternal life with you and all the saints in this world and in the world to come. Amen. As a father runs to meet the prodigal, as a shepherd searches for the lost one, as the woman scours the corner for the missing coin, so does God's love seek and search us out. Friends, know the truth and the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We know sin no more and have life eternal. Know this and be at peace. Amen.
1: As we welcome a new brother and sister in Christ through baptism, I am happy to be joined by Elder George Hennessy, representing the session, and Jake Williams, representing the children of our congregation. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you till the end of the age. Obeying the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death and unites us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church and join to Christ's ministry of peace, love, and justice. Let us remember with joy our own baptism as we celebrate this sacrament today.
2: Representing the session and this congregation, it is my honor to present for the sacrament of baptism. Walker Ayer West, son of Ashley and Addison West, and brother to Addie and Will. And also, Hilary Rose Hennessy, daughter of Jackie Hennessy and Mike Sauerwald.
1: Choosing to bring your children for baptism as parents, you affirm your commitment to share the good news of God's love with them and to raise them in the family of Christ's church. So I ask you, do you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And do you promise in dependence on the grace of God to live the Christian faith and to teach that faith to your child? Do you? We
3: do.
1: You are not alone in this task. Surrounding you today is a community to help you keep this promise and to help your children grow in faith. (laughs) Gathered with you are friends and family, dedicated people in your child's life who will help nurture Walker and Hillary and to travel with them on their Christian journey. So I would ask all the friends and families who have come today for the baptism to please stand. I ask you, do you promise, through prayer and example, to support and encourage, to love and to nurture Hillary and Walker, to be faithful Christians? Do you? You may be seated.
4: Hillary and Walker, today the children of the church will make a promise to you. We cannot wait until you are old enough to make these promises for another child and join us in this work. Listen, as the children of Bryn Maw Presbyterian Church, do we promise to be a friend to each one of them as they grow up in our church. If they need directions, will we show them the way? Will you play with them and share stories of Jesus with them? Will you help them when they need help? If we promise to do these things, let us say we will together. Will we?
2: Do we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Walker and Hillary by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging them to know and to follow Christ? And to be faithful members of Christ's church, do we? Yes.
1: Here at the font, we take ordinary water and set it aside for a holy purpose. Listen and see the sign of God's grace poured out for each of us. Let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and new life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of your promised land. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. Send your spirit to move over this water, that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise them to new life and graft them to the body of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory, now and forever. Amen. What is the name of your child? Hillary Rose. Rose. Here we Hello, my uh-uh. Hillary Rose, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, uphold Hillary by your Holy Spirit. Give her a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit of joy in your presence, both now and forevermore. Amen. What is the name of your child?
3: Walker Air.
1: Walker Air, child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the holy spirit O oh lord uphold walker by your holy spirit give him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of power and might the spirit of joy in your presence both now and forever
4: amen on behalf of the children of renmore presbyterian church i would like to present these children's bibles to you on this day of baptism May these stories help you grow in faith and love.
2: Hillary and Walker are now received into the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Through baptism, they have been made members of the household of God. I charge you, the witnesses of this baptism, to nurture them, to love them, to share the good news of the gospel with them, and to help them know and follow Jesus Christ. Amen.
5: Friends, join me in prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, you are the giver of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It is your will to restore all things to Christ, whom you have anointed priest forever and ruler over all creation. Open the eyes of our hearts this morning and teach us to know the hope to which you have called us, so that we might learn to see you in the face of those in need around us. Amen. Our first lesson comes from the prophet Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will sort them out. As shepherds sort out their flocks when they are among scattered sheep, so I will sort out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strays, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, But the fat and strong, I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Therefore thus the Lord God said to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. I will save my flock. And they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken."
1: The second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the final of three parables in this 25th chapter, as Jesus describes to his followers what will happen in the coming kingdom of God. Friends, listen for the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Television writer and producer Michael Shore, known for his work on such shows as The Office and Parks and Recreation, has shared that he was first inspired to create his critically acclaimed TV show, The Good Place, after witnessing annoying behavior while driving around Los Angeles. He'd see things like people cutting you off in traffic and people throwing things on the ground and not picking up after themselves. He said, I had this game I played with myself where I would just say, that's negative eight points. Like if anyone is keeping score, What you just did right there, you just lost eight points. In his recent book, How to Be Perfect, he describes the original premise of the good place in this way. A bad woman who had lived a selfish and somewhat callous life is admitted to an afterlife paradise due to a clerical error and finds herself ticketed for an idyllic eternity alongside the very best people who have ever lived, people who had spent their time removing landmines and eradicating poverty, whereas she spent her life littering, lying to everyone and remorselessly selling fake medicine to frightened seniors. In the show's fictional cosmology, every action on Earth does have an actual point value and directly impacts where you end up in the afterlife, the good place or the bad place. Eleanor, the main character, realizes that she was sent to the good place by mistake and must hide her morally imperfect behavior while trying to become a better, more ethical person in order to keep her spot in heaven. Conveniently, the soulmate that she is assigned in the afterlife spent his time on Earth as a professor of moral philosophy. So most episodes provide the opportunity to introduce the work of a wide variety of ethical scholars and moral philosophers, from John Locke to Immanuel Kant, Aristotle to Philippa Foote. Eleanor and her friends in The Good Place, also all mistakenly sent to this heaven-like utopia, become consumed with what will happen if it is discovered that they are there undeservedly. And as in all TV sitcoms, hijinks ensue. It's actually the philosophy of John Paul Sartre that is center stage at the end of the first season. So spoiler alert. When it is revealed that these horrible people are not in fact in the good place at all, it is a lie. They have instead been destined to spend eternity torturing each other in the bad place. Shore has also commented that it was primarily Tim Scanlon's book from the year 2000, What We Owe to Each Other, that forms the backbone of the entire show's arc as the characters evolve and change over its four-season run. He writes, the point of morality or ethics actually isn't to accumulate goodness points. It's to live up to our duties to each other. Now, historically in the church, the parable of the sheep and the goats has itself been interpreted as a morality litmus test. For who will and who will not be welcome into our Christian version of the good place, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, or sent to the bad place, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels? As Christians, we are motivated by this parable to serve the least and the lost, the most vulnerable in our world, because that's how we serve Jesus Christ, right? Who himself identifies most closely with the poor and the destitute. That's how we seal our eternal life and glory, by accumulating not points, but by accumulating real and tangible acts of compassion here on earth. This litany of charity from the parable shapes much of what most Christian churches do in their mission and ministry, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, welcoming the refugee, advocating for the imprisoned, our congregation here is no different. But it's not just in this parable of the sheep and the goats that Jesus instructs his followers to act compassionately in the world in these exact same ways. The entire Gospel of Matthew is a favorite among scholars of philosophy and ethics because of the significant amount of time Jesus spends instructing Christians in how to behave in the world towards neighbor and stranger towards friend and enemy alike. This particular parable from Matthew 25 was a favorite of moral philosopher Immanuel Kant, who used it to argue that the point of religion wasn't about a belief in the divine, which was essentially unknowable, but that all one needed to do and to be was a moral agent in the world. God actually chooses as the true elect in this parable To enter his kingdom, those who extended help to the needy without it even entering their minds that they were doing something that was worth a reward. Faith had nothing to do with it. Now, the problem with the way that we tend to understand the meaning and the lesson of this parable in the church is that most biblical scholars think that what Matthew actually intended is more in line with Immanuel Kant's than ours. To understand the likely original meaning of this parable, we have to better understand who in the parable is being judged and who is being served. The other name we use for this parable is the judgment of the nations, because that is the exact language we read at the beginning of the text. In this first-century context, what the writer and the hearer of this parable would have meant by that term, nations would be everyone outside of the Christian community. This is not a story of the judgment of Christians. It is a story of the judgment of non-Jesus followers. And when Matthew describes those being served, those in whom the presence of Jesus dwells, the least of these who are members of my family, that was language exclusively used to describe not simply the poor, but to describe the vulnerable early Christian community. It's important to remember that the earliest followers of Jesus were vulnerable and poor, often with tenuous political status in their missionary travels, often imprisoned, and wholly reliant upon the compassion of non-Christians to be able to survive in the world. While we can read this as a parable of judgment, it's actually a parable of grace where Jesus describes the essential forms of decency and loving kindness that one human being is obligated to show another, regardless of their connection to each other and regardless of their faith tradition. And that even those who never declare faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, but who live lives of compassion and care will be welcomed into the kingdom of God." Now knowing that this might be a hard pill for us in the church today to swallow, Matthew scholar Mark Allen Powell offers this creative interpretation of the parable for us to consider as 21st century Christians. He writes this, Matthew's primary interest is in locating the abiding presence of Jesus in the community of his followers. This identification would hold regardless of whether those followers are the recipients of charity or the dispensers of charity. So at the final judgment, Jesus will say to the people from the nations, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. But it is easy to imagine the corollary. Jesus will also say to the distressed people of this earth, what was done to you by even the least of these brothers and sisters of mine was done to you, by me, In a context never envisioned by Matthew, a world where Christians have economic resources and the church has social power, what this text reveals to even the least of those who belong to Jesus' family is a chance to become Christ to others, to be vessels of his mercy and instruments of his peace. It's a compelling corrective to us as followers of Jesus We don't serve the vulnerable in this world because they are Jesus Christ incognito, but simply because they are fellow human beings. That should be all that is required to compel us to act with compassion in a tragically fractured world. In an opinion piece published in the New York Times on Thanksgiving Day, author David Brooks reflects on what it means to be a human being living in what feels like such a brutal and violent moment in human history. First, he draws upon the philosophies of ancient Greece, which teach people in brutal times to be skeptical of rage and humble in the tenuousness of our own achievements, but then he turns to thousands of years of religious thought. David Brooks writes this. Another tradition that I think can teach us a very important set of lessons is centered around the city of Jerusalem and the three Abrahamic faiths. All these faiths emphasize what you might call recognition. That's the idea that every human being from birth needs to be seen and recognized and respected. One of the great things you can gift to another person is the gift of seeing them, the gift of paying attention. The Abrahamic traditions teach us to lead with love, even in hard times. He goes on, in in dangerous times, your instinct is not to want to cast a just and loving attention on others because it seems soft. It seems like you're leaving yourself vulnerable. And indeed, you are. It is dangerous to be gentle and open-hearted in hard times. But it's also dangerous to shut off your heart. Brooks then goes on to encourage us all in these days to practice what James Baldwin called defiant humanism. That's what this parable is all about. Defiant humanism. The most basic and essential acts of kindness and care that every human being deserves and that they likely will only receive if people choose to act defiantly with compassion in this world, over the past several months, I have been a part of conversations with a variety of community partners, township and county officials, Bryn Mawr Hospital, Lower Marion Police, and other nonprofits and faith communities to talk about how to address the needs of people who are sleeping outside here in our own community. Human beings who are the very epitome of those who go unseen in our world. It's a conversation sparked by the death of a man last year outside of Ludington Library. In a township that doesn't have much in the way of direct services from the government or nonprofits, and in a county that continues to reduce the resources available to the housing insecure. It is typical for someone sleeping outside here in our own community on nights in the winter when it is too cold for a human being to be able to sleep in the elements, for Lower Marion Police to pick them up, to drive them across City Line Avenue and to drop them there so that they can access services in Philly. It was the overwhelming consensus among all of these leaders that we have not just the capacity, but the obligation to do better than that as a community. But that kind of defiant humanism takes a lot of work and a lot of risk. In the midst of months of hard conversations, it has been so encouraging to me that amongst our leaders here as a church, that it has been clear that we are obligated, as Jesus followers, to reach out in care and loving kindness to this unseen and vulnerable population. So this January, we as a congregation will serve as a pilot code blue shelter for Lower Marion Township, welcoming in the four to five men sleeping outside in our community on the coldest of nights, providing hospitality, food, warmth, and human connection. As the details for this pilot come together, I hope that many of you will see this as a way to respond to Jesus' call to care for one another. In his book, written after 9-11, The Dignity of Difference, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs writes something that I think is an interesting way to paraphrase this parable of the sheep and the goats. He writes, men and women were made, so I believe, to serve one another, not themselves. We may not survive while others drown. We may not feast while others starve. We are not well when billions languish in disease. We are not free when others are in servitude. In days when we all feel helpless, against the violence, the hate, the disparities of this world, when we each might wonder where God is, where Jesus is in the midst of it all, we are reminded in this parable that even in our helplessness, we are obligated to help others. To consider not just that Jesus himself will one day reign as king and judge of all the nations, but that for a short time, he walked among us fully human, showing us and teaching us what human beings were created to do, to care for one another. And that through our care, the world experiences his presence still today. Amen.
6: I invite you to remain standing as we say together what we believe using the affirmation of faith that we find in our bulletins, that is taken from a declaration of faith. In Christ, the new world has already broken in, and the old can no longer be tolerated. We know that we cannot bring in God's kingdom. But hope plunges us into the struggle for victories over evil that are possible now in the world, the church, and our individual lives. It gives us courage and energy to contend against all opposition, however invincible it may seem, for the new world and new humanity that are surely coming. You may be seated. We lift up our hearts in prayer. Gracious and eternal God, we have been reminded this week of the numerous reasons to express our gratitude for the abundant living you intend for us and for all. We recognize that you created us with the kinds of needs where we could not be self-sufficient. But we celebrate your grand provision with all the ways you richly provide for physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. You form us and reform us by your love, O God. Bring us together as a grateful faith community so we can be unified in purpose and practice. Lord, hear our prayer. You, O God, are the giver of light and life. We ask that you enable us to grow into the loving congregation that more fully reflects your joyous generosity. Enable us to be sensitive and responsive to the needs of others near and far. We aspire to be better messengers of your good news, which extends to all people that we might boldly serve you in word and deed through serving those all around us. Lord, hear our prayer. Locksmithing God. Unlock figurative doors that we have closed out of fear or frustration. Open our hearts that we have closed because of arrogance or pain or bewilderment or despair. Shape our welcoming embrace of others who need a non judgmental reception that echoes your deep and broad goodness. Lord, hear our prayer. We give thanks that our words and our work can be lifted up to you, O God. Grow our imaginations so we can show your majestic creativity that finds ways where everyone's needs will be met. We relish your reign in our lives, O Christ, and long for that reign to be fully realized throughout your world. Empower us by your Spirit as we serve you. By serving others in your name, Lord, hear our prayer. Guide our hearts and voices in prayer, O Lord, as we pray now as our Lord Jesus instructed us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We made our verbal affirmation of faith a while ago. Now is an opportunity to begin to make our behavioral affirmation of faith as we demonstrate that we believe what we say we believe by giving of ourselves to others in this time of offering our tithes and offerings. And as you do so, I invite you to find the friendship pads at the end of your pew, to register your presence and pass it down so that you can see who is in worship with you this day.
5: our King, you are the source of every good and perfect gift. Use these tithes and offerings for your glory. Let your church be a spring whose waters never fail, and let us, your sheep, be repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets to live in. May we see you in the face of all those we meet, treating them as we would treat you. We pray all this in your blessed and beautiful name. Amen. Amen.
1: friends, go in peace to love and care for the world in Christ's name. May God bless you with every gift needful for this work. May the Spirit grant you willingness to risk yourself completely for the sake of the gospel. And may the love and compassion and the hope and the faith of Jesus Christ dwell richly within you till the time of his coming, both now and forevermore. Amen.